So good to be here this morning. Um, let's just start off with prayer. God, I thank you for this new day that we have, God, to worship you and honor you with, uh, with all we say and do. Lord, uh, I pray that um, as we go through our day that we will not forget um, that we are in a relationship with you um, and we have to take it step by step, Lord. And I just thank you that um, we have a church family here that uh, is so supportive and, uh, and is so encouraging um, to one another, God. And I just pray that we will um, continue to follow in you and uh, to um, discern what, uh, what your word has to say for us uh, in each new day. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, yeah, as we go from here, that we will just be blessed by you uh, and that we will continue to be a blessing to others. Amen. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, first of all, uh, as a church family, for supporting me uh, this past year at Briarcrest um, with your prayers and scholarship um, and everything. And, and today I want to share some of what uh, God's been teaching me through the professors and, uh, and through my daily devotions uh, this past year at Briarcrest. And so... For this sermon, uh, it's about the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, I was looking up how to become a farmer on WikiHow. Um, may seem a little strange for a Sermon on the Mount, but I think there might be some similarities. I wanted to figure out what others thought it took to become a farmer, because becoming a farmer requires quite a lot of things. Now, WikiHow had some pretty good ideas uh, in general about what you need to be uh, to be a farmer that could be summed up in about three points. Um, number one, know what you're getting yourself into. Um, it constantly said, know what you're getting yourself into. Um, two, get experience at, at whatever type of farming you're doing. And three, which I thought was really unique, but uh, quite fun, finally have a good sense of humor. Now, <laughs> I would say that my dad is uh, pretty funny, but uh, Sometimes I'm the only one that understands him on the farm, um, which can be concerning, but, but at least Wiki Howe thinks that our farm is up to standard. So, um, Now, in order to become a farmer, you must be a couple things. You'll probably have to be part plumber, part welder, part race car driver, part doctor, mechanic, teacher, salesman, accountant, and on top of all that, a jack of all trades. Now, the reality is that as a farmer, you won't be all those things all at once. But you'll have to try your best to be those things at certain times. Otherwise, you're not going to reach your goal, whatever that is on the farm. Now, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 5, uh, we'll start at verse 1. And we'll try to tie this together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, I'm reading from the ESV. It might be a little bit different. Just bear with me. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, what I would like to suggest this morning is that Matthew, um, the the author, is laying out a step-by-step of how to live a wholesome Christian life uh, in these Beatitudes. Uh, And he's trying to trying to allude that Jesus is, is saying this. Um, this is possibly why uh, the book of James uh, expands and references on the Sermon on the Mount in every single chapter of James. Um, now, let's analyze the text. But before we analyze the text, uh, number one, we must know who the author is and whom he's writing to. The author of this book is pretty obvious. Uh, it's Matthew. A uh, Jewish coll- tax collector who is one of Jesus' disciples. Now, we know that Matthew is writing to the Jewish audience because of the way he writes. Matthew is constantly concerned about uh, fulfilling Old Testament um, and Old Testament laws and prophecies. And in fact, he's the most alluding to, and uh, he's the author that quotes the most of the Old Testament out of any of the New Testament writers. Um, if you notice, uh, if you would flip to Matthew chapter 1, he starts off with uh, Jesus' genealogy with uh, saying it starts off with Abraham. And he constantly points out uh, after that that Jesus is the son of David, which I don't know how to rate a Jewish scale or factor, but I'd say that's pretty Jewish. So... Um, <laughs> Therefore, we can look at this text and realize, uh, therefore, before we even look at the text, uh, and we look, look, just look at the title, he entitles it the Sermon on the Mount. Um, now, this may not be much of a surprise to us. It's right there, obviously. But uh, if we would go to Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 6, Luke entitles this same reference as the Sermon on the Plains. Uh, and so this could be Matthew suggesting um, and trying to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy uh, as Jesus being the new Moses. And just as Moses gave the commandments on the mountain, Jesus is giving these new commandments uh, on, on the plains, but he's um, alluding that, yeah, that it's Moses. And so I think that he's telling the Jewish people of the time that we should be paying attention to this, um, and therefore telling us of our time now um, that we should definitely... Uh, look deeper into this um, in living, in helping us live to uh, a wholesome Christian life. So now let's continue to the actual verses. Um, the beginning is straightforward. Um, I don't believe that there's any sorts of hidden messages uh, besides the fact that Matthew points out that Jesus is sitting down. Um, when Jesus sits down, he teaches, and when he stands up, he preaches uh, from the scripture. And so, um, I think that uh, that because he's sitting, uh, it's even more important to to pay attention to, because uh, now this is the new covenant coming. So, um, and it's also important to notice that um, he's speaking to his disciples specifically, and not to the crowd. He said, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, some may say happy uh, are the poor in spirit, and happy are those who mourn, happy are the meek. Uh, but I think it's more appropriate to maybe say blessed. Uh, it's, it's more appropriate. Blessing means uh, more than just being happy. Uh, happy is an emotion, whereas blessing uh, is a continual gift from our obedience. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit uh, is to acknowledge, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge our spiritual poverty. Indeed, our spiritual bankruptcy before God. John Calvin put it this way. He only who is reduced to nothing in himself relies on mercy of God, is poor in spirit. The way to rise up in the kingdom of heaven is to realize how far we have sunk down in our spiritual lives. Jesus' first blessing on us is this. To not live a life that we are consistently lying to ourselves about how righteous we are. He only asks for us to be humble and truthful in our spirit. It is okay for us as Christians to rely on God. In the same way, it's okay for a farmer to not know what he's doing. Let me just clarify. Um, (laughs) Come on, we've all been in the shop now and then, and we know that we just make up things as we go. But (laughs) to clarify, as a farmer, it's okay to ask for help, is what I'm saying. Just as we as Christians um, can't live our life on our own, but we need to rely on God constantly. Um, And that is being poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, What does that even mean? Blessed are those who mourn? How How is mourning a blessing? What kind of mourning can Christians have that brings the joy of blessing? This is like saying, joyful are the unjoyful. It, it's a paradox. It doesn't, doesn't really make sense. But uh, we saw that Jesus is telling us to acknowledge that we are spiritually poor in the verse before. But to take it to the next step of living a wholesome Christian life, we must mourn for the sadness of it and of other believers and non-believers. Jesus doesn't want us to accept ourselves as sinners, but he wants us to he doesn't want us to just accept ourselves as sinners, but he wants us to know and feel the gravity of what a sinful life really is. The truth is that there's so uh, there is such thing as Christian tears, and sometimes we don't weep enough of them. Psalms 119:136 says, "My eyes shed Uh, streams of tears because men do not know your law, O Lord. Sometimes we as Christians make too much of grace that we feel that sin is very light. We need to mourn for those who are hurting and for ourselves when things get rough. For only in the final state of glory will Christ's comfort be complete. For only then will will sin be no more. And as the scriptures say, in Revelation 7:17, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It can also be said, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. This again builds off the previous beatitude. Uh, we can admit that we are sinners before God, but would be, we be okay if... Um, 
if somebody here in church came up to us and said us straight in the face uh, that we're a sinner? Probably not. And I'm not asking any of you to say that to each other after church either. Um, that might not turn over so well. But uh, we should be okay with having that uh, happen to us. We should be truthful, truthfully humble and gentle, not growing in our egos of life. Although, how, do being, how does being gentle and being meek help us inherit the earth? Well, I think that Paul the Apostle says it best uh, when he describes it in 2 Corinthians 6.10 as having nothing, yet describes himself as having everything. When Christ comes and there will be a new earth, there, what more will we need? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. For us to truly confess our sins and be humbled in doing so, it must lead us into a hunger for righteousness. This verse doesn't seem to clarify how often uh, our fill will last, though. For while we are still sinners, our hunger for righteousness will break out again. Jesus told us that whoever drinks from his water will never thirst. Although I think that this is only true if we continue to hydrate ourselves in the water that he has to give. Only then can we be truly satisfied. I hope by now uh, you've kind of started figuring out this whole farmer analogy, working with a whole Christian life. To live as a farmer doesn't mean to have one skill, but have many skills and to learn those skills step by step. Just as living a whole Christian life, we have to follow that which Jesus laid out for us in these Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We serve a merciful God, and <laughs> hallelujah for that. Uh, so therefore, we must show mercy if we are to live in his kingdom. Although we cannot receive mercy from God unless we repent and ask for mercy. It's just like you can't receive a cookie unless you ask mother for it, even though she probably won't give it to you. Um, to be meek is to acknowledge to others that uh, we, sorry, and we cannot admit that we have repented if we continue to be unmerciful to others. If we continue to do that same sinful act, and uh, if you continue it over and over and over again, it doesn't, doesn't really uh, show that you're showing mercy um, to yourself or to whoever else you're doing it to. For us, to be meek is to acknowledge uh, to others that we are sinners, but to be merciful is to have compassion on others, for they are sinners as well. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure life, no, imperfect, er, no imperfections with the, way you live, uh, with the way we live our lives. In other words, don't put on masks. It's, I don't think this verse is exactly saying um, be perfect, but um, that we are to live utterly sincere in all the, our thoughts and actions. Um, live a perfect, open life. Uh, our, our whole life, public and private, is, tran 
is, should be transparent to God and man. Only the pure in heart should be able to see God because they will not have impure faith or hidden secrets from their understanding of God. So they will see more of God because they are simply being open and being honest with their faith, with their family, their church family, their friends, and with the Lord himself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. As it's written in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Peter 3, Hebrews 12, Romans 12, and many others, we are to actively pursue, strive, and live peaceably. Peacemaking is not something that we can do on our own, but it is a divine work. Just as we are talking about taking risks uh, this morning, and we can't actually control any of it. Um, it has to, we have to rely on God for that, to take that risk of being a peacemaker. In order to, for peace to happen, we must, there, uh, we, in order for peace to happen, there must be reconciliation. And God is the first to display both peace and reconciliation. Uh, so I don't think that it's too big of a step to believe that God would want his sons of the kingdom to live a life of being a peacemaker. Although sometimes I think we associate peacemaking with pacifism or standing up for those who aren't able to. But could we not view peacemaking as healing churches and bringing sinners to Christ? There's something, there is sometimes a lot more to peacemaking than we realize. The fact that peace can only be done by and through God, I think is so important. And why it's one of the later Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are others when blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all sorts of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. John Stott um, said that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value system, systems. Now, this again is kind of weird, just like the blessed are you, uh, or those who mourn. Blessed are you when you're persecuted? It's kind of a turning things upside down. So being persecuted uh, I, would, I would say is showing our Christian authenticity, authenticity uh, for Jesus uh, compare, sorry, being persecuted is showing our Christian authenticity for Jesus um, compares those who are persecuted to the prophets. If we are going to be peacemakers, we should expect to be persecuted. If we are persecuted for following Jesus, then we're probably doing something right. Um, we should probably be scared more of when we aren't mistaken uh, for being, or when we're mistaken uh, for not being Christians and therefore not being persecuted for our faith. So today, uh, you, one of the, or two of these things might resonate with you uh, in the Beatitudes. One of the biggest realizations uh, in studying this uh, for myself was realizing that we not, Jesus isn't saying, 
because we're Mennonite, oh, like, blessed are the peacemakers, because we may have been pacifists in the past or still are. Um, But he's asking us to be each one of these things. He's asking us to first be poor in spirit, because if we're not humble, humbled by how sinful we are, um, it's kind of hard to make peace with, uh, with everyone else around us. Uh, whether that's in our church family or in our daily life. Um, and so we as Christians are to go through all, uh, to give all we have to him. And it's so important that Jesus, that we remember that Jesus wants to bless us in all of this, uh, in our Christian walk and our Christian faith, that as step by step, he wants to bless us and be there side by side with us. Uh, until, until we are here no more. But it's not going to be easy, but it will be the greatest reward that uh, there is to give. So let us pray. God, I thank you for this new day that you've given us, Lord, and I just thank you that, um, that we can live our life out step by step for you, God. I pray that, uh, that we will not try to cheat corners in our Christian life that we will not try to um, try to just take the easy path, God, when the going gets tough, when we're tempted uh, to walk down uh, certain roads, Lord. I pray that we will that we will be blessed by you, and that we will turn to you first, Lord. I just thank you that um, we are here, that we can gather here and be encouraged by one another um, in what we are, in what we have been learning, or what we have been. Uh, learning from you, God, and what you've been revealing to us in our daily life. I pray that um, that we will not forget how good you are to us um, and that you want to continually bless us. Um, all we have to do is strive after you. God, I, just, uh, I pray that as we go out from here that we will not forget um, just the God that you are, how merciful you are to us, and uh, how great um, your kingdom is. Amen.